0: My name's Liana Berry, and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing, and creativity. This episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Luca Jane Siemens. She's an interdisciplinary artist, educator, and slow fashion designer. Her art practice encompasses installation work narrative textile collection sound and projection she also leads the loop foundation a social enterprise which focuses on transforming textiles and empowering communities luca has a contagious enthusiasm a deeply contemplative nature and such a kind heart. In this episode, we discuss breaking and challenging self and socially attributed definitions in order to embrace a creative practice that encompasses all of our multiplicity. I'm sure you will be able to relate to Luca's honest, grounded, and playful antidotes on a Sunday morning that shines a light on how we are all interconnected. Hello Luca, welcome to ArtMuse Podcast.
1: Well, thank you. This is rather scrumptious, isn't it? <laughs> it is not
0: it Yes, It's really exciting. I think because I've known you for a little, well, a fair amount of time, but not very well. So yeah. you're friendly with quite a few of my artist friends. So there's kind of mutual connections there. And you've been wonderfully supportive of my adventures with Sunflower and Ivy in Perth. And we sort of connect over Instagram and our love of dogs and things like that. And (laughs) um, have a lovely personal story where you saved a piece of clothing that was actually for my dog. So I had a, a pair of pajamas. My dog is a Rhodesian Ridgeback for listeners and he gets really cold in the winter. So we had this pair of custom pajamas made for him, which everyone finds very amusing. But the lady that we ordered it through just could not get the sizing right. And it was just so frustrating and then I sent them off to you and you put an extra turtleneck top <laughs> bit on for, for his neck. And we still use them all the time. And now we've moved to Albany. He uses them in an the even more extended season. So every time I look at those pajamas, I know your wonderful work. <laughs> but other than that, we don't know each other super well. So I'm really looking forward to having a chat with you today and learning more about your practice.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite funny, isn't it? I think there's so there's so many negative connotations of the online world. But actually, I just think of it like a massive phone book that you actually have the opportunity to call out on anybody that you feel like chatting to. Um, and I think that it's been a beautiful space to. Yeah, make those make those little connections. And also then see how how beautifully connected the world is. You know, I love when you when you go online and you you maybe friend somebody and then you're like, oh, and they know these seventeen other people that like are also in your life. And you're like, how beautiful is that? You know, and I just I sort of imagine sometimes this um sort of a, a covering of a wall where you just have all these little stars and those connections between them and, and that you're part of this like I really love seeing yeah seeing that that um yeah the bigger than self type of picture I really love it
0: yeah and the internet makes that uniquely visible I think in a way that like you said we wouldn't n- normally know all of those different connections we might have with than that constellation working outwards exciting to be able to see that sometimes I think particularly in the creative world because creative people can be very social and very well connected and collaborate together but for me personally I find I go through quite long periods of working independently and it can be hard to network sometimes so I think the internet is like a wonderful way like you said just to reach out to people that you think might share your values and start a conversation without actually having to physically be in the same space
1: I think very much in the in the creative space that's you know I think we all come to it with um yeah some some kind of um yeah challenge in that we do gain a lot from working independently and individually because there's a lot coming in when you're when you're a creative you know there's a lot going on so you might have 27 voices already in your head so <laughs> the idea of that moment you know having other people around you can can be really quite intense so it's um yeah it's a way that you can kind of work between the two so that you have that um yeah concentrated sort of alone time but then are very aware of being part of of something bigger than just the self you know
0: yeah that having both of those things is so important it's so interesting actually you say like that 27 voices in your head because I think a lot of creative people just identify with that thing of being alone in a really rich way or having a really rich inner world and it's not I don't really ever have that feeling of feeling bored like yeah never <laughs> ever like you know occasionally I'll feel like restless or unwell or something like that but not that kind of like oh I've got nothing going on because like you yeah. said there's all this constant stream of ideas and thoughts and voices and yeah projects that you've got going on it's yeah it's I am feel so blessed sometimes to be creative,
1: challenging at times. Yeah, I know. Like, do you ever have that thing where you're like, oh, maybe I could just like work some nine to five job, you know, and just like do what I'm told and go in there and do it. Like, you know, and, and it lasts in my head for about four seconds. And I'm just like, you would go insane, you know, because it isn't it isn't easy to have the creative brain that really doesn't stop. You know, it's just like it's an ongoing thing. Um but similarly, the idea of, of just being in a space where I where I didn't like where I wasn't driving, you know, what I mean, where I wasn't like the one that's going, OK, we're going over here now. No, we're going over here. You know, like I love that. I love it that it's that it's yeah, it's altogether rather crazy. But um, but yeah, we, we need we needed the variety of, of people in the world. You know, I think there's a lot of times where where we can be dismissive of all of these other aspects of life that. You know, I'm so grateful for the person who can do that type of, of life because I just couldn't do it, you know, and I, I need the people around me to be able to do that so that I can function also, you know, like I need to know where I can get milk from, you know, <laughs> I need to know where I can buy my Tetley tea, you know, um, and so I wouldn't ever get around to organizing all of that. So I'm really grateful for all the people that are, that are in this space that can that can do those things, you know.
0: Yeah, the diversity of jobs and people's interests just fascinated yeah. me. Pieced all together, that's what makes our world function. Without it, we'd be in lots of trouble. It can be so easy to kind of slip into like wanting or looking for familiarity in each other and then kind of getting mm. stuck into thinking, you know, it'd be nice if everybody was more similar, but actually, mm. like, the world would no, not function <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. So, talking of like kind of creative wiring, I guess, and um, the way that we're creatively wired, it'd be lovely to start about your creative journey.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I I'm always really surprised that I don't go that far away from my 15 year old self who who kind of dreamt of what life I had like dreamt of the life that I have now in a way that it was very much a dream. And so I think when I was when I was um, a teenager, I identified with being an artist, Because I couldn't imagine any other facet of life that I could sit within that would feel as uh, validating as being an artist. Like I just, I didn't, I didn't see another space that I would make sense in. And a lot of that was because I didn't feel like I made sense, (laughs) like at all, which you know, I think I think a lot of people in, in my experience of speaking with many creatives, you know, there, there is this way of finding a sense of self within the creative space. But over the years, and there are many. And like there's a lot of things that have happened and come in and out. If you were to look at them on a much more spiral way rather than linear. I think it's just for me, it's always about becoming closer and closer and closer into what there is in your core. And so for me, there's there's a lot more that's to do with community and to do with supporting people and being a cheerleader for other people that I think wasn't, I, I didn't see that in my vision early on. I kind of felt, that I needed to find how, how 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 I could fit in to the world, um, and that seemed to make sense in in being an artist. But I think as I've become older, I do feel that there's a lot more that I need in community sense that actually drives what I do as an artist. Um, and that's probably more apparent in the last sort of twenty years than it was early on. I think yeah i i don't have a I don't have a sense of the you know lost individual artist out there trying to find belonging and you know all this kind of stuff I don't have that now at all I just um I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of at peace with all my quirkiness (laughs) which is really lovely it's a really nice space to be but yeah I I did for many years sort of have this aspiration of I'm going to go to art college when I'm fifty. <laughs> I just I had this idea, and I think it's because I was I was really aware that um, I wanted to live a life that I could really support myself, you know. And I didn't have any mentors or or people that I could look to that that had a successful life as a creative. In the way that they could actually afford to put food on their table, that they could actually afford to pay rent. So I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't grow up with, you know, a bunch of creative folk around me that were, um, that were able to make a life like that. And so I really wanted to be able to stand on my own two feet. And that was through uh, teaching. And so my original career was, was as a primary school teacher. But even in that, you know, it was, it was really spirally to get to that because I, I actually studied business. My first degree is in business. <laughs> Yeah, I was like a total rebel. My dad really thought it'd be great if I was like a musician and and went on the road and like, you know, was part of a band. And I was like, no, damn you, I'm rebelling. I'm going to go and study business. <laughs> so yeah, and then I, I came out from that. And I was just so disillusioned with what business was like, I saw business as a catalyst for change and like how you could, yeah, make a difference in the world. And you know, as something that was bigger than yourself. And in the 90s, that wasn't really the way. It was just all about making money. And I was like, I'm just not really interested, folks. So so yeah, then I went into teaching and um, became a primary school teacher. And then when I had my children, I just had no desire to be full time anything other than Than being with my kids. And so I specialized in art teaching. And for me, that was just like the most perfect blend of knowing you were making a difference, but being seriously cool on the daily, like just going in and like seeing these beautiful faces that were just ready to be part of something other than the day-to-day maths and English type of of, of teaching. And it was just great. I would just, and I would go and I'm like, la la, let's, we're doing this today, you know? And I had so much energy and so much enthusiasm. So yeah, that was brilliant. And then, yeah, I suppose because I came to Australia uh, the teaching as a you know part of you know being part of the council and and having a you know like a proper job type thing that was like oh I have to redefine who I am and and what I do because I'm in a very very different space and I wasn't I had young children at that time and my husband works away and so I was like yeah I'm not I'm not going to be doing that teaching um At this point. So then I went to, um, I went to art school, which here is um, Edith Cowan University, as you guys will know. And uh, yeah, I just, I fell in love in the fashion department with just textiles and yeah, just the, just the whole way it was run was just it was such a thing of beauty and I just feel really really connected there and so that's that's kind of where the part of me that is a is an artist and a designer that's kind of where that that all grew from but yeah that's the thing about being old right is that you just have so many different things (laughs) so you can't really do the chronological thing because like if you did that you'd be here for like the next 10 hours (laughs) and you would only have gotten up to like 25 you know (laughs) I should clarify that you're not the old. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm fifty. I'm fifty two, and I I really love it, and I love being fifty two, and I love I love being in a space where that isn't a, a a challenge for me. Like I think that for a lot of people, anything outside of thirty is like, well, what's you know what can you offer now, you know? But like I'm I'm going to live till I'm a hundred and four. Like that's my whole plan, and so. So 52 is like, I'm just like halfway there, you know. <laughs> I met a couple of ladies yesterday at a market
0: who were twins, actually. And they were 93 years old. And they on. called themselves the Fossil Twins. <laughs> um, and I was in a town called Mount Barker, like 40, 40 minutes, half an hour outside of Albany. And they'd lived in the, the town their whole lives. And they're incredible. But I think they have the right to maybe call themselves old, but <laughs> yeah. and 93.
1: So I did Master of Arts by Research. I think basically I just didn't want to leave Edith Cowan University. I had the whole, like ECU was like my home for such a long time and it was kind of synonymous with being in Australia. It was like, okay, I'm in Australia, I'm at ECU. It was, I, I just, so much of, of of being here was about being part of that um, institution and I felt that the degree kind of only gave me a a beginning part to, to what I wanted to explore. My um in my in my bloodline, I have a a sculptor and a, a Milner, a seamstress and a Milner. And I never learned from them um, because they both passed. And I was very, very aware that they were very much in me. And I felt that the masters was about kind of seeing how those things um, became part of my practice Um, and I think when you're doing a degree that is primarily fashion and textiles you're kind of you're kind of on the pathway to having like your own brand or you know working for 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 another fashion house or whatever Um, and I kind of felt like well yeah that's that wasn't enough for me to explore I felt like I needed something else and I didn't really know what that was until I started doing my master's and probably a good sort of year and a half of the of that was um was finding out yeah the sort of the the value of of art and the value of yeah creating work that people could be with and I I kind of always have my my um my dad in my mind and I feel like well if I can explain it to him that it's useful and it's a value then then it kind of starts to then make sense to me and i think it's it's easy to find the value when you're surrounded by creatives and other artists and you know you you, you have your like your your own way of speaking but I need it to be able to be on a daily way of speaking, like something that, that can actually impact anybody outside of the art space, somebody that hasn't had an education within the art space. I want my art to speak to them. And yeah, most importantly, to my dad. Like I want I want my dad to be able to walk into an exhibition and feel something. And so if, you know, if, if he needed to have a PhD in order to experience it, for me, that isn't what I want to create. Oh, that's so lovely to
0: kind of bring your dad on your journey like within you and that kind of thinking of him and dialoguing with him internally.
1: I remember when the the first the first um runway he came to was at um Eco Fashion Week Australia and he was in the audience and I came out after um after the runway and he actually had a tear in his eye like proper full on and I just looked at him and I was get it like I feel it in my heart. I was like you Get what I'm doing. And that was such a beautiful, joyous moment for me because, you know, I really, you know, I have such admiration for how my dad chooses to live his life and for what he's given us. And to see that he could really feel what it was that I was putting out into the world was just amazing beautiful but on a side note it was hilarious because he actually helped me I was it was down in Fremantle and we had to take um my garments were in in the boot of my car and we had to take them all out of the car and I'd laid this just like like random cloth on the on the bottom of the boot so that obviously the clothes weren't getting dirty or whatever and he lifted this cloth out not knowing that this was actually just a random piece of cloth, had nothing to do with my collection. And he lifted it so delicately with his two hands placed beneath this cloth and I was just like oh that was so beautiful because even though like he didn't have a clue what it was he knew how important it was to me and so he lifted this cloth just as though it was part of my collection and oh that was such a beautiful moment.
0: (laughs) Oh that's so beautiful and I'm so glad that he's been able to be a physical part of your journey because when you first started speaking I was not sure if your dad was still with us or so it's so nice to actually hear like you have those actual tangible special moments with him where he's able to see the work and that you're able to see that that it's your work is translated like you said to not only him but other people multiple streams of your work which is something I want to touch on a little bit because you do have your fashion collections that you do but then you also have multiple media work but are textiles based as well and I feel like those ones I always feel like even seeing photographs of them there is such a swelling of emotion because they seem so intimate and personal
1: I mean they 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 really are. I remember there was a a visitor once to to an exhibition and they they were in tears and it was it quite often happens these moments where where some somebody is connecting with a piece of work and it's that moment where me being vulnerable and and putting work out into the world in a way that lays bare an awful lot of, of who I am in the world and how I see the world. But then seeing the way that the work is so open to its own interpretation I think for me it's about creating a space where people can feel vulnerable enough that that experience can actually take place in a public space you know it's, it's an exhibition um, and I think that my exhibitions are the way I look at it is it, it's like a you know it, it's a cup of tea for one you know it's um, space to allow you to be fully yourself but it's a very intimate space and I think that the the translation between the exhibition and the runway is where it's like you've had this conversation, this deep, vulnerable conversation with the closest of friends. You know, somebody you've you've grown up with. I always think of my best friend who we've been uh, friends since we were five, um, and it's like the exhibition is 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 the space in which you could actually talk to that kind of person but then after you've had that conversation there's there's a sense of of renewal within you there's a sense of you know yeah it isn't just me you know I, it's not just me that feels like that it's not just me that's having that experience and so the runway is about how that then becomes an us you know, it's 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 a much bigger thing, and and then you see yourself um, amongst all these other people, and so yeah, it becomes that sort of wider public sphere. Um, and so I'm very aware of the responsibility that I have within those spaces and the types of conversations that I feel are appropriate within those spaces. And so in the exhibition, I create a space that is that, that can be solitary and is, is quiet and is very intense. But I can hold you in that space. I'm not asking for you to be... Bear your soul in that space, I'm asking you for you to step into it. Whereas the runway is a much louder, more public, you know, um expression. And so yeah, I work between the two of them. But then that's kind of how my personality is, you know. I, I kind of feel very like a an introverted extrovert, you know, it's like I go between those two. And I think many souls do. Unfortunately, we can place people in one place or the other, but they don't always stay there, you know? It's like, why can't it be this and that? Why can't it be the whole thing, you know?
0: Yeah, we tend to get tempted to reduce things, probably and just in order a lot of the time to try and make sense of it and to try and make meaning. But actually, yeah. most of the time, it's an, you know, I've said that so many times on this podcast already, it's like my little, my little catchphrase. Like it's an and instead of an or yes <laughs> those dualities and those kind of complexities and nuances and that's what makes people so fascinating and people's practices so interesting like you can speak to like every single creative and even if they've got the same discipline that they work in if they're going to be completely their story is going to be completely different and their work is yeah. going to be completely different
1: because it embraces
0: you know all of those complexities and contradictions and
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it's such a disservice to humanity that we feel the need to place people into boxes because, you know, we're like, there literally is only the constant of change. And so if we, Try to be in a position where, oh, okay, that person is this, and that person is this, and and it and it goes across all sorts of things. You know, these feelings that we have this this need to put people in boxes is just such a it's such a modern a modernized way of 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 labeling that I just feel is so it just dilutes us, you know, and it and it also harms a lot of things like you know friendships, relationships, and um, marriages. You know, if if we're constantly looking Looking at people to rock up the same way every day, you know, for an eternity. Like we've we've just I don't know. It's we've just lost so much of of what is essential to being human. Like the capacity to grow and to to share in in the growth of each other, you know, and to celebrate that, you know. I think is such a it's such a beautiful thing to be able to to see somebody wildly change and to step more closely into themselves like that is a beautiful thing and I think that should be that should be celebrated whereas quite often it's like oh you know they're they're floatier they're flightier they just they do this or that or they're indecisive and no they're really not they're becoming a richer more you know connected person in themselves.
0: Yeah absolutely I agree and it's interesting because I think that that's the amazing thing about art practice is that it's like a mirror for all of those things that you've just said because mm. you know, as soon as you engage in art making and it consistently over time, you learn that you never show up to your art making in the same way two days in a row. You know, it's yeah. There's always a different presentation of yourself, you know, to your paintbrush or to, you know, whatever tools you use. If you're a sculptor or, you know, a sewer, you will always have a different reaction to what you're doing, even if you're working on the same project. And so it's so interesting you sort of learn that naturally. And I think also that talking of celebrating difference and growth and seeing the different ways that people have to explore and trial and go through process in order to get that growth is very much mirrored in the art art world you know particularly if you work not just from consuming it from an exhibition kind of end point but you're actually immersed in the making back end of creativity because we see that with fellow artists all the time, you watch each other journey through that process of stumbling and you see it in yourself and you obviously do it as well, where you try things, they don't work, it's a mess, you know, you have ups and downs and, you know, all sorts of roller coasters. And it gives you the grace over time to realize, like, you can apply that in life as well, that it doesn't have to be this rigid linear expectation. And that if you're outside of that, or you go through a period where you're different to, that there's nothing wrong, that's just part of the
1: process. I know it's a good analogy with life, isn't it? Really, that kind of you know, it isn't it, it becomes an evidence based cycle though, in in a way, because after after doing it for so long, you, you do have that, okay, well, what would the evidence suggest? Yep, I've felt like this before and I've gotten through this and I've come out and I've done something entirely different. Um, and I think, you know, that's why we need to be so mindful with our young people that we remember it is in the process of being themselves that they also find that evidence. It's not, it's not up to us to give them the evidence that, you know, they'll get through this or they'll, you know, have this experience and they'll be different for it when they come out and all the rest of it, it's it is for them to fully experience it. And I think, you know, being a mother of a 16 year old and a 20 year old, you know, that's that's very apparent in um, in in my experience that um you know as 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 much as you'd love to give them this beautiful manual of, you know, here's how to do it. (laughs) Like, no, you got to find that for yourself because it's never going to be how you did it. You know, like I lived through the, I lived through the nineties. Like it's an entirely different way of being, you know, me, me being a, you know, a a teenager and then a a young adult, like that, that way of being and, and showing up in the world doesn't exist now. And so who am I to then say, well, okay, this is how you could do it. Or this is not, it's just not, Yeah. And I think like, it's that balance
0: of having like a knowledge of wisdom so that when you do arrive at it yourself, that you, like that can be helpful, but not like you said, not imparting it in such a way that you're expecting the person to learn from that as if it was their own. Because like, I think back and I'm like, oh my, you know, like I was such an anchor. I had so many overwhelming anxiety struggles as a teen and early adult. And like my mum Um, was so wise with ways to help me but so many things that she gave me knowledge about I feel a bit silly now because it's only in my 30s that it's really clicked but I'm like oh I get that and I so appreciate her still sharing it because I think it's such a richness now you know kind of it validates it having it's like there's a knowledge base there but I didn't ever embody it in the way until I arrived there myself yeah so it's like yeah, it's like, how do you balance that out and that you still want that knowledge to be there but and that wisdom to be kind of um, shared, but not with the expectation that the person's going to take it and use it as if it was their own discovery. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think that's, you know, that's for me, it's 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 just it's living a life that feels right to me. Also to link that to like your experience
0: of being a teacher and like the power of when you do have mentors or you do have great teachers is that they walk that path really well in that they have the knowledge there, they're shining the light on the next to you, but they're allowing you to walk it yourself and kind of stumble along yeah. and, like, learn from it. And so I think that is a bit of an art. And one of the things I was thinking about earlier in the conversation is that lack of community and yeah. support and what, what drives us to want to label everyone and put people in boxes and make sense of people. Usually it's underlined by fear or anxiety or just desperately wanting to make sense and make meaning and not having the tools or the confidence or the support to do that in some, obviously it's not everywhere, people do have strong pockets of community, but largely I think most people you do find reporting a lacking of community and are looking, I think, to institutions and are looking to other people for meaning and reasons when actually like you've said so far it comes from an internal investigation and an internal process so there's like this mistaken concept of where to find things you know yeah. and that's probably a, a product of consumerism it's like a, so, a selling point isn't it like you know yeah. if you buy this you'll this will solve this problem and this will make sense and over time that repetition of that message of like buy this or do this or pay for this or look yeah. for it out here or look for it for it from someone with more authority means that you just like it chips away at that concept like oh actually it can be an internal resourcing and i can rely on myself to go through a wobbly messy process
1: which is incredibly sad it is and i think you know there's a lot of in in what you're saying there's there's a huge amount Of thinking there that we all really need to do, you know, it depends how you've come to where you are. So for me, one of the um, the driving forces in how how I show up is because of my Buddhist practice, and so it it's quite a clear path. And you know, I I remember sitting with uh, I was 18, and there was this a, a, a little notice on notice boards because you know back then that's how you find out how what was on, right? You looked at the local notice and and had all these right what's on anyways there was this Buddhist monk coming to Dundee my hometown and um I remember rocking up at this space and um, you know, he sat there in his, his incredible robes, you know, and and just had this smile on his face. That I was just like, I can't even describe it. It was just such a way of being that I just hadn't experienced in anybody before. And I remember him telling us this story about uh, about pizza, right? And, you know, it was, it was a tremendously deep and meaningful story all about pizza and how if you have one piece, like that can be really quite delicious. And if you have two, you know, well, that could still be really quite scrumptious. But like continuing to eat the pizza, eventually you're just going to feel dreadful, right? Now if we equate that to the world and then just in our day-to-day thing, if we're constantly searching outside of ourselves for that feeling of happiness, you know, that scrumptious first bit of pizza, whatever it is that you enjoy, if you continue with that and you keep feeding yourself with that one singular thing, eventually that's the thing that's making you feel very ill, very sick and very uncomfortable. And so for, for me, It's that acknowledgement that if you're so overly attached to things that are outside of yourself, that true joy is specific to that thing. And then as soon as that joy that little spark that dopamine of you know oh I got that new I'm just looking at a loom right in front of me you know yes it's a beautiful loom and I'm so excited to work on that loom but like already I'm like looking over here and I'm like oh well I need something over there oh I'm looking over here I need something over there and if you're constantly moving towards this sense of achievement outside of yourself it's always going to be really disappointing and that can hurt to have that knowledge because then you're in a society that values the external that values you know the the big house the two cars the whatever you know and when you realize that that's you know, really quite um, you know, it's, it's a facade. It's not it's not giving you this deep joy. That can be really quite frightening. Because then you're expected to continue to rock up to the world and see all of the people around you <laughs> constantly searching. And that's when you have to be really, really careful because you can you can create a real division if you have a particular knowledge and a particular way of understanding the world. And then you're in the space with other people who have a very, very different way of seeing the world. You've got to just drop the idea that either one is the right way. (laughs) And it's much more about how you can connect with that person. And what is it that can bring you and that person closer, because ultimately, your sense of self and their sense of self depends upon your interbeing. You can't separate yourself. And I think the, the, the easiest way to really feel that viscerally is sitting in your car, you know, your capacity to get from A to B is determined by every single individual around you at any one moment. That can go horribly, horribly wrong, right? And so you're actually in that space of interbeing on a daily basis, you know. But driving is the one thing that really helps solidify that for me, you know. And because each of those tiny little decisions have allowed you to get from A to B, Yeah, I'm really excited listening to you talk
0: about those perceptions because I can see how that, that same perspective feeds into your practice, you know. Something I wanted to touch on today is like, well, I guess there's so much I want to touch on because I think you have a really diverse practice. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was like the environmental kind of consciousness and the ethical kind of process that you have around reducing your impact on the environment and reusing materials. And yeah, I just I think that there's a probably a really nice bridging here between that conversation and the, and that aspect of your arts practice, because it is that concept of that awareness for you around the interplay in the world and the interplay of our impact on other people and people's impact on us but then that extends not just between humans that extends between like the context
1: of our environment um, and the materials we consume yeah I mean I think that when I when I came into fashion and textiles it was really just the very start of what became known as sustainable fashion and you know I found it I found it really quite odd to be honest with you that it that it was ever even two words that were put together because it was just like a complete oxymoron like how can fashion ever be sustainable you know i remember reading uh, it was ursula de castro spoke about you know the, the most sustainable item you have is once in your wardrobe you know and it's like well yeah you know and i i think that my my move towards being in that sort of space is is much more about how how i was brought up and how how we just 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 did things on a a daily basis and I've always found great joy in something that's used like I find it quite I find it quite uncomfortable to have something whether it's on me or or in my house or you know surrounding me that has no prior life to it Um, and that's why I have this absolute love hate relationship with Ikea because it's like it's like, there's no life in these things, but they just make such damn good storage, you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> ah, yeah, it's so frustrating. But like, even in that, you know, like I have a, I have an Ikea settee that began its life in my mum and dad's house in Letham Grange in Scotland before I'd even had my first child, who's now 20 years old. So, even the way I do IKEA is so different to how it's normally seen. And I think that it, for me, it's about recognizing, it's probably similar to the fact of how much I just love being in, you know, being 50 as opposed to, you know, being 20. Like, I love the richness of experience. I really, really love that. And I think that, I feel that within cloth in a way that perhaps the sort of the general public hasn't had an opportunity to really experience. And so so for me, seeing, you know, textiles that have either been, you know, passed down to me or you're like, we're all, always the family that takes whatever anybody's throwing out, you know, much to like my husband's absolute disgust, because he is not like me at all. Um, You know, we're like, somebody has a slightly older child than you have. And you're just like, Nice one, because all of their hand me downs are coming to us. You know, it's I love it. I love I love seeing that and remembering that person within that piece, and and I think that that's come into my my arts practice because it's a way of creating layers and depth and moving outside of the self. You know, I'm I'm always really driven by how my art can speak. To another person when it comes from a deep sense of vulnerability and sharing and so by using pieces that have existed in the world you know, long before I I touched them, is a way of recognizing that and a way of acknowledging that and being aware of that. And so, you know, things will come in to 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 work, you know, like um a piece that I'm working on just now, which is um gathered handkerchiefs um that I've just collected over the years and I'm I'm working into them in a in a stitch that um, that speaks to the forget me not flower, and all the while I'm just so conscious of the fact that that somebody long ago has taken their time to stitch into a piece of cloth that ultimately is to be used for blowing your nose. Like I mean, seriously, like is there any more disgusting piece of cloth than that? But somebody cared enough for you to actually take their time and that freshness of our time you know we're so time poor and to take that time to actually stitch I mean I think that is just you can't help but be impacted by that you know yeah and like that slowing down and thinking about the stories
0: that the fabrics yeah. hold
1: yeah and a lot of my work is time based and you know there's there's pieces that have I, like I, w- I would find it actually impossible to be asked to join an exhibition without a long lead in time because for me it takes so much both in the sense of 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 being with the work and allowing it to happen which is the space where I can't talk about it where I can't even share an inkling of what it may be because then it becomes something other than what it would have been had I given it time and so there's all of that that just sits and then the actual making of the work becomes about some element of time whether it's a a place in which you you're stitching whether it's a, a a place in which you're visiting and 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 meditating and being in or whether it's a relationship that's growing within that time or whether it's a reflection upon a different time within your life that idea of time is always part of, of whatever this creation becomes. And and quite often, it, it, you know, I, I, I'm not aware of things until, you know, until I put it out there and then somebody's response, somebody's reaction, somebody's emotional feeling will then create yet another layer. And for me, that's you know, that's the that's the gift of of being an artist is being able to be part of that layered communication with another another person. For me, that's that's the real gift. And by putting that work out into the space, no matter how vulnerable you felt, no matter how exposed you felt, that conversation took place because you had the courage to put it out there.
0: That takes so much courage because. I think I might have spoken to this a little bit with Deborah Worthy-Collins when I had her on early in the podcast is like, you know, that bridging from a private space to a public space and that courage to kind of persist with something without having that feedback because it is like you're just you're making within yourself and within your own space and then you can really limit yourself when it comes to stepping out because you 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 know it's but it's like I always think of it as an echo chamber you know you're only really Mm. hearing yourself echo back even if you are bouncing off context in your life But then all of a sudden, when you're exhibiting or you're sharing or you're showcasing or you're on a runway, is that you're getting this dialogue suddenly coming back to you. And it's it's that anticipation of that and that fear of that that prevents people from being vulnerable and...
1: I'm just I'm really that that really sparked something in me there I think it's really interesting that you should say that because for me I don't have a fear like at all as to the response for an exhibition or a runway and I know that sounds like a really weird thing to say I just don't fear it because once it's come out of me and it's 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 done whatever it needs to do over the period of time then it becomes a gift for you and like my experience is that I have never given somebody a gift and that they've laughed in my face. I've never handed something that I've created, given it to somebody and them saying nasty things to me. So I don't have that fear because I see it as a gift and that gift can be chosen to either be responded to or to be felt or to be heard, or it could also be chosen to not be experienced. And so that's how I feel once it's out there. Whereas I think for me, the fear is much more about relationships. It's the vulnerability within relationships, because that's when it feels much more connected to me as an individual. And that's something that really in the last 10 years, I've become more and more aware of. The need to be vulnerable in order to make that depth of connection. So you see, it's it's almost like I've I've stepped outside of the need for that because I've been doing that through my work all this time. But recently, we went to uh, we went back to Scotland, and I hadn't been back home for eight years, and I sat. And drank tea with my closest friends, people who have been with me for decades. And that sense of pure friendship, like really deep connection, was so jarring because it made me realise that I hadn't allowed that depth of connection within Australia like literally within the space in which I have been living for the last decade and that was that was a really eye-opening time for me in discussing it in the way of exhibition and runway which isn't it's it's vulnerable in the sense that I'm putting it out there but there's not a fear in how it's going to be received I think that for me is in the space of friendship it's in the space of connection that's where that's where the the vulnerability plus fear, that's where that comes in for me.
0: Yeah I actually heard someone saying like uh, she was going through a period of being like single solo and she was saying you know I feel like right. I'm doing so well I'm doing great like because she's like but I'm by myself a lot of the time like I'm not being tested in yeah. those relationships and it took her a while to realise that because she was thinking oh great I'm feeling really regulated all my triggers are like fading I'm you know it's all this work yeah. I'm doing because but then it's like because you're in that environment then like you said you go yeah. back to Scotland and you see the people that have known yeah. you since you were like you know crawling around and suddenly it's like oh yeah. Oh, actually, like, you know, and it's not that you haven't been doing any work on yourself, but it's just that sometimes it can be easy to think, you know, because I'm immersed in a certain space, you have that, you're only, you're only kind of got the perception of that. So it can be really useful, I think, to like diversify your environments. But also when you're working in a relational sense is touch base with relationships that, you know, that challenge you or you know and i think there's that thing between like that reframing for so many people around relationships and around comfort and discomfort and you know the fact Mm. that feeling like that vulnerability and that jarring in when you're in company of good friends isn't like a panic Mm. sign it's not like a it's not Mm. a sign that something's wrong it's actually a really positive sign because it's like well this is allowing me to realize like you know i I need some space to be open and authentic and accepted and unconditionally Mm. loved Mm. um so it can be like a great indicator i think sometimes people panic thinking like they shouldn't go hand in hand that deep love or Mm. deep connection shouldn't feel scary or uncomfortable or unsafe but actually sometimes Mm. it it can do it's um yeah there's so many emerging resources though in relational growth at the moment which I think is really exciting and I think it's yeah a scary thing to kind of like break down some of the messaging we've had around relationship
1: one of the one of the things I do is um I run a a social enterprise and we um we have a space where it's a a train effectively a training space for People who faced significant barriers to employment, and so the sort of the very traditional, archaic, you know, leave your children at home or in childcare, and you go off to work, and then you come back, and you have all these hundred and one things that you still need to do, like all of these, it doesn't fit, right? And it doesn't fit for generally. <laughs> But a lot of people try and mold themselves into that fitting. So in in our space, what we do is we create an entirely different type of employment, which is really, really flexible and person-centered. And it comes from a space of, you know, what is it that you need and how can I facilitate that? And I think if I didn't have that in my sort of day-to-day creative life, I would find it nigh on impossible to continue as an artist because I've always had an element of my life that is purely based on how can I make a positive impact in somebody else's life you know and I think that when I did when I started doing my master's I was saying earlier about the idea that it took sort of you know the first year and a half to kind of work out the value in it it was because i was going into it with a how how can this make a dif- how can this make a positive impact in other people's lives and i needed to sort of put that aside for a short while to be able to really explore what the masters was going to be about which incidentally did turn a, into you know a, a very community based approach but i need to have those elements in in my normal life because There is a a deep need to help somebody else on their journey, whatever it looks like. Um, And in the workspace, you really can be a fixer. Like you can get stuff done that really supports this person in order that they can live a life that feels rich with meaning and that they are supported and held and cared for but that's not a friendship. That's a different thing. And I think that it's, it's understanding where the fixer needs to come in. Yeah. And so for me, I can bring her into that space because it needs somebody like that. Whereas in a friendship that is, whether it's a new friendship or a, you know, or, or a friendship that you've had for, for, for decades, the fixer doesn't need to come into the room. You know, she can she can just sit outside, you know. So it's that
0: conscious awareness of the application of yeah. it. Yeah. Because, yeah, we can pendulum yeah. swing a bit where you think like we either, you know, it's all the way over here. Like we need all of this. or then it swings back the other way and like we need none of it. But actually there's so much truth in that is that, you know, think about the context and the strengths of having fixer in different contexts it's interesting looking at um parts of your fashion work and that kind of mending and piecing together and you know it's not it's not like you know a direct translation of the word fix but it's like this Mm. transformation and this repair that kind of produces yeah yeah, it's interesting looking at those parallels. I think between uh, you said sometimes when we have we're making work, it's so hard to describe to someone. Like you can't, you're so close mm. to it, you can't even see what it's communicating or what it's representing because it's so woven in with yourself. And then someone on the outside can obviously make their own interpretation of it, but quite often they see aspects of you in it that you don't see of yourself, mm. like how you're how you are reflected yeah. in your work. So much. Uh, some of the themes of today, I can see so closely and some of your processes of working as well and just yeah your values are kind of woven in through your different projects, which I don't know if you're entirely I think you are somewhat conscious of, but probably I don't think we are. Ever yeah, concerned.
1: I think I think yes, if I was just sit back and you know take some time to reflect upon it, then yeah, you know there, there, there is a conscious awareness of it. But I think I so I really put myself into it so whatever space I'm in I'm like all in and so I'm probably not on a day-to-day basis very clear that it's okay to inhabit all of these different spaces and so you know there's two things that came up there for me was first of all the idea of repair repair is in the back of my mind for a PhD the whole mending and repair and its depth and the the research and the connection and all that it's kind of like sitting in my head and there's a lot of things that keep coming in that make me think that there is there is a need for me to to have my research brain actively engaged in that space because it is it is constantly coming up in my life this idea of stitch and repair and mend and and the other the other thing was just this this idea of what we can what we can really gain from having people who are completely outside of our space in a conversation, and I recently did a, a mentorship with um, with Global Sisters, which is a tremendous organisation um, that supports um, women in business. And I had a mentor who's you know never met before, in an entirely unrelated field. And over the sort of the ten sessions, I could see us just in this you know, this circle that just went right back to the beginning. And it was because at the beginning of it, I was, I was kind of trying to find some clarity, because I've got all these things going on. And I was, I was kind of like trying to find, okay, well, what's the one thing that I, that I should be doing, you know, and then, and then we spoke, and then every week, it it, it kind of altered slightly. And then I just kind of got right back to the beginning. And It's all just me. Like, I'm there in all of these spaces. It's just that when I show up, I show up differently in terms of what's needed. And so if you were to observe me in in my studio space, I would look different and act and behave differently to the person that's standing, you know, in, in, in a class setting with, you know, with sort of 15 other women with multiple languages and I'm so vibrant and active my arms are everywhere as I'm describing things and teaching things it's the same person inside yeah it's physically it's the same person in the spaces but there's aspects of me that come out in these different spaces and it's about being okay with that and not feeling like that's you know that that, that's wrong there's something wrong with that or there's something broken about you because well when I speak to this person I'm like this and when I do this activity I'm like this that's that's totally to be celebrated that is a great thing that you can be that in all these different spaces but I think that that's something that I'm probably just becoming more conscious of it. And it's through allowing those conversations to take place with other people and to hear those reflections and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do do that, don't I? <laughs> and and be OK with it, you know, and whereas in, in um, you know, when out when I was a teenager, I very much. Moved on from groups when I felt I wanted to explore a different part of who I was, you know, so I would be hanging out with punks and listening to a particular type of music, dressing in a particular way, and then when I felt like I wanted to explore something completely different, I would almost shapeshift into something very, very different, and you know I would put on the cure I had an album that I would put on. At, Whenever this was happening and my mum, it was almost like a signal to my mum, like she knew, OK, there's some big change happening. And then I would literally move on from from those people and from that from that group. And I think as I've gotten older, I I don't necessarily feel the need to move on so much now. I feel that I just dip in to different spaces and I allow those different facets of my personality to um to show in in the spaces you know it could be in the morning I'm someplace in the afternoon I'm someplace else and that's that's totally fine you know I can I can bring different things to to each different space and still be the same person yeah absolutely
0: and it's so exciting I think that yeah it's really refreshing to hear that and I think yeah that's why when I was sort of preparing for the podcast I was like how do I and I will do an introduction and Cause I pre record my captions, yeah. but <laughs> like trying to, you know, it, there's so, there is, you've got so many different wonderful and exciting projects happening. Yeah. And I think that is what is so, hopefully, that will give permi- people permission that being an artist is can, or a creative person can be like that. You don't have mm. to stick with like one discipline or one way of like expressing yourself or in one industry. You Mm. can be someone that repairs a dog's pyjamas, does a, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, does a high-end fashion line, works in, like you said, a social enterprise, and also does a multidisciplinary art exhibition in a gallery. You know, like, you can be all of those things, and you are still the same, you are still a singular person. Like you said, you don't need to, like, split and cut and people feel like they can only show one version of that. Okay, looking at the time, so many things, but I think... Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll probably wrap it up. We haven't even drunk tea. I mean, really.
0: (laughs) I'd love to hear your thoughts on the last couple of questions for the podcast. And the first one is your favourite creative memory, so perhaps related, it might be to fashion or it might be... um, to your own art practice but what's a favorite memory of yours
1: that is really hard okay should I maybe I shouldn't
0: use the word favorite what's a delightful memory so then one that just pops pops into your head
1: well do you know it's really funny because as you're asking that question right two things came flooding into my mind and neither of them I thought would come in one of them is me I must have been about six years old and I had a little tiny loom that i was learning to weave on it was one of these little boxes that you know things to do because your mother's very busy right now <laughs> and i just remembered weaving and it's really weird i i didn't think that would come to me another beautiful creative memory that did come to mind was this gorgeous rocket that was a pencil sharpener that i got from santa claus And I remember it was the same year that I got a keyboard from Santa Claus also. But my dad was working away. And the thing that I spent 25 minutes telling him about was this amazing rocket. And in this rocket, it was like this size. It was only like about four inches. And it had these tiny colorful pencils and a sharpener in the bottom of the rocket. And honestly, God, to this day, colored pencils, sharp coloring pencils are like my greatest creative joy so yeah I'll leave you with that one that is
0: wonderful (laughs) I can just I'm picturing it in my mind's eye and it sounds incredibly delicious as you know that tangible kind of feeling yeah. yeah
1: And can you imagine like your dad saying, constantly saying, and did he bring you anything else? And then you go, oh, and there's like 14 pencils, dad. And they're all different colors. And, and he's like, bring yes, James. but <laughs> what <laughs> else happened? <laughs> and yes, you like, but, but dad. It of comes off and you can put the pencils inside. Yes, I know. It's hilarious. So yeah, there you go. My, one of my greatest creative, joyful memories. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, that's so,
0: yeah, I can just, I can just picture you, like you said, your dad being like, yes. (laughs) Um, oh, okay. And uh, so I've got two more. So mm, hopefully we can give your brain a bit of time to think about it because I feel like I've just put you on the spot. But, um, the next one would be, do you have any, if you had a piece of creative advice to give to other people or to our listeners, what would it be? I think there's been quite a lot of gems of wisdom throughout the podcast so far so I feel like you've already
1: delivered on that but is there anything that you I think to sit with yourself and don't be afraid to listen to what comes up yeah that's really powerful
0: oh wonderful thank you so much for today it's been such a pleasure
1: oh you're so welcome I think Sunday morning should always start like this it's actually really quite lovely I feel very motivated to just get in my studio now actually I think I'll go for a walk because can you believe that my Rottweiler has been sitting outside the door of my studio for like what is nearly two hours and have you heard her there's like literally not been a peep so I'm really impressed
0: oh bless her (laughs) she's done an amazing job My, my, my dog's sleeping next to me and sometimes the microphone picks up his snoring
1: well, I did. I did see a head pop up at one stage, and I was just a little bit jealous there because she's behind that gate and behind the door. Oh but um, but yeah, she's been very good. So we're off out for a walk down to the beach, and um, and then I'll spend the rest of the day in the studio. It was beautiful. Thank you oh very good. much. I'm glad you
0: enjoyed it. If you enjoyed listening today, you can find more of Luca at Luca Jane Siemens and Mella Luca Rise on Instagram, as well as on her websites, LucaJaneZiemans.com and melalucarise.com. I'll link both in the show notes, but Luca's last name is spelt Z-I-E-M-O-N-S and Mella Luca is spelt M-E-L-A-L-E-L-E-U-C-A. If you enjoy the Art Muse podcast, the best way to support it is through sharing with your creative friends choose your favorite episode and share through social media or private messaging or in your chat and coffee next week and if you feel so obliged to like or to rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using it would be so appreciated art Muse podcast is still in relative infancy and it takes a lot of community effort to get it out there and into more people's ears If you'd like to support Art Muse podcast in a monetary way, you can shout us a Ko-Fi through our Ko-Fi account. And so that is a donation for the cost of a coffee. I look forward to sharing another episode with you next week.